0: Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I feel like sometimes, some of those songs, I feel like we should sing them all year long, you know? That's one I always get swept up in. But that adoration and that love, um, that's supposed to be what Advent is reminding us of and pointing us to. And just to have a season that's named Arrival, It's not just the first arrival, it's the second arrival. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the second coming of Jesus, which I've found over the years that people love to talk about. Uh, The most feedback I ever get on sermons is if it's about uh, Satan, angels and demons, and the end times uh that's pretty much like like people like oh i like that today that was very interesting Uh, other topics don't get quite as much feedback but those for some reason we are like we love to talk about those like kind of mysterious things we are like our culture is obsessed with apocalyptic literature and movies and, and and anything that has to do with the world coming to an end we love that i don't know why but we are kind of obsessed with that and here at Advent, here we are is this you know this this year it 's twenty three days of us thinking not only about the first arrival but the second arrival and sometimes when i like when i say i 'm talking about the second coming, a lot of times there 's like a lot of like baggage that comes in there with that terminology, and so um, there are a lot of misconceptions with it. And a lot of these misconceptions lead to us either being afraid to talk about the second coming or we're just kind of confused by it. Uh, some people, they just reject it. They're like, I don't even want to think about the book of Revelation. It's weird and confusing to me and not stuff. It's, it gives me anxiety, you know. And other people, just they just can't get enough. And uh, so before I get into the actual like, second coming part, let me tell you what I'm, what I'm not going to talk about today. I'm not going to talk about the Antichrist. I'm not going to talk about Armageddon. I'm not going to talk about the end times and how everything that ever happens in the Middle East automatically means something, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to talk about the rapture. None of those things are are a part of what I'm going to talk about this morning. And so if you ever want to get together and talk about any of those things, I'd be down with that. That's super cool. But that's not what I want to talk about today. And I want to, if we can, can we just put all that stuff to the side? Like all the the signs of the times and just the whole, like all the parts of Revelation that are like, what is it? You know, some of the things that are described are, are just kind of like hard to imagine. And what does it mean and how are we going to know and what is a sign of the end and what isn't and all those kind of things. We need to put that to the side. And here's why is because we have become like as American Christians, we have become so obsessed with those things that very oftentimes you miss the magnificent beauty of what the second coming is about. We're trying to interpret everything. We want to know who's the antichrist and like is this political figure him and all. You know, we want to know because we want to be able to control it. We don't like being caught off guard. When God, you know, He wrote Revelation in code on purpose. Like that literature is written so that we would not be able to know what it actually means. He has given us a story arc. And he's like, basically, that's all you need to know. God is able to be very clear. You know, Andy read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God is able to be crystal clear. So when the book of Revelation comes along and it has all this imagery and all these kinds of things, it's because he doesn't want us to know all that. Can you imagine how obsessed we would be if it was more detailed? He's like, you don't need to worry about all those, uh, all those things. You don't need to worry about Armageddon. You don't need to worry about who the Antichrist is or the signs of the times. You definitely don't need to worry about the rapture. Um, Like you don't need to get worried about being left behind. There's all these fears that are there. He says, Hey, put all that to the side and just look at, like, look at what is actually going to happen and let, let that breathe hope and anticipation and longing into you this Advent season. Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 that we should be encouraged by knowing these things, that this should should be something that we we remind each other of, and we point each other to. And so I hope that this is an encouraging uh, sermon this morning to you in this in this way. Now before we get to Revelation, uh, this week we were talking about this in the elder meeting and, and Taylor was like, hey, you need to read uh, N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope, these particular chapters, because Taylor knows that kind of stuff. And, and, and so I listened to him, because if Taylor tells you to read something, you should read it. And I read it and just got very swept up in in a lot of what he was trying to say. And I'm going to borrow some of it, of course. But um, he talks about this really important word in Greek that we need to we have a good understanding of before we really get into the second coming and it's it's spelled p a r is for all you note takers p a r o u s i a parousia parousia now it's used throughout the new testament to reference the second coming but in a but it literally it literally means presence that throughout the new testament paul uses it jesus uses it peter uses it john uses it james uses it it means presence in a very literal sense. And so you might be reading through like your English translation and it will talk about the like reference his coming, his next coming, the coming of the Lord, that kind of stuff. That word coming in there, it it, it, it does mean it does mean that it means arrival, but it also means presence. We have to understand that uh, before we can kind of get into the other stuff. So here's some examples in 2 Corinthians 10, 10. Paul had, he had a, a lot of critics that were out there. And uh, one of the things they were saying about him, he says in verse 10, it says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So if you think Paul was like this big, tough, well-spoken, like eloquent dude, he really apparently was not. They were kind of making fun of him. But what they're saying is like, yeah, he writes these letters that are all strong and everything. But, but when you see him in person, he's really not that impressive. That, that, that word there, that bodily presence, that is parousia. Okay, First Thessalonians 4.15. This is one of those big second coming of Christ passages. It says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the coming of the Lord, same same word, parousia, same word as bodily presence that was used in Second Corinthians, and then in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty three, another second coming passage. It says, "But each his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his parousia, at his coming, those who belong to Christ." So this word, like when when this word was spoken, uh, it would have like evoked certain things. When you, if you got out one of Paul's letters and you read that word parousia, it would have brought to mind automatically some things that maybe it doesn't trigger for us. So these are the two things that N.T. Wright says. Like if you were living during that time and you heard that word, there are two associations you would have had with it. One would be, uh, he says, the mysterious presence of a God or divinity, particularly when the power of this God was revealed in healing people would suddenly be aware of a supernatural and powerful presence. And the word for this was parousia. This word was used outside of Christianity, um, but, but in Christianity, like if, have you ever been in a situation where you just, like, like things, things were happening with you and the Lord, it could, you it could be in a worship service, whatever, and something shifts and you just have this really strong awareness that God is in the room with you; that He is near to you. That, that's what parousia would. That, that's what that would evoke when you heard that word. It's like, yeah, that that like kind of like keen awareness you have that God Himself is with you in this moment. That's one thing it would have brought up. The second thing is whenever a person of high rank makes a visit to like somewhere that they rule over, particularly when a king or emperor visits a colony or province. The word for such a visit is royal presence. That's how we would translate it. But they in Greek would just say parousia. That that is when you live on the outskirts somewhere. And yet the emperor or the king, whoever is the boss of everything, decides to make a visit. That he, is, is, he may be ruling and reigning from the castle, from the palace, whatever. But you get word ahead of time like, hey, he's coming on Tuesday. You better be ready. That he is coming in bodily presence. So it's not just about his journey and his arrival. It's the fact that he is now sitting in the town with you. That he's not just ruling from far away. He's ruling from in the same room, same room with you. Both of those things would have come to mind when the word parousia was spoken. This, this incredible like presence of God when he is moving And the arrival of the king to be bodily present with you in the same space that you're in. Both of those things would have been there. And so through the Spirit's inspiration, Paul used this word on purpose. And so did John, and so did Peter, and so did James, and so did Jesus. Trying to evoke these ideas, trying to use this particular term, so that when talking about the coming of the Lord, it's not just this this uh, event that all these different signs and wonders and all these things lead up to, it is, uh, it's is—it's not just about the, the, the countdown to it. It's about what is actually happening when it happens. And the significance of, of God moving in a moment and being present and the king coming to be with you, the significance of that is the presence of God with you. So in other words... As these New Testament letters are being written, and as we are here this morning, Jesus is spiritually present with us, but he's not bodily present with us. He's, no, he's here, but it's not flesh and bone. That's part of what, uh, of the, the sadness of communion, as he says, Hey, have this meal, and every time you do it, you do it in, in remembrance of what I've done. And you keep doing that until I come back as a reminder of the fact that I'm supposed to be with you. I'm not right now. That between the first arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem and the, and the second arrival of Jesus, whenever that's going to be, he is absent. And we're supposed to feel that void. It's kind of like in, in holiday times when, when the family gets together and you, you start to notice over the years who used to be there and now they're not. And you miss them. You miss your loved ones that have, that have passed away. You miss them so much at the holiday time because it's just not the same without them being in the room. That communion has a sadness to it because Jesus is supposed to be here. That's, that's how the meal is supposed to be taken. But yet he says, hey, don't let that stop you because I'm still with you. But parousia is still happening in that first sense that supernatural movement of god among you and parousia will happen in the second sense as well at some point the king is going to come back he's going to come into the town and rule here in like bodily presence with us that's what paul is saying is he's like look uh he's not here now but one day he's coming and it's going to change everything you will not believe what is going to be different. It will blow your minds to think about how different it will be for Jesus the King to rule in in bodily presence among us. Nothing will ever be the same again for eternity. So what does this have to do with the second coming? Maybe sometimes it's easy to to get focused on the, the end times and Armageddon and the Antichrist and all those kinds of things that we kind of lose sight of the fact that we're talking about Jesus being with us. Like, who, who cares how we get there? It does, not, it does not matter. I don't care what it takes to get to that moment. But that is what our future, like that is what we know We have no idea about what everything means in Revelation, but we know this, he's coming and he will be with us. We can't get so focused on the wedding that we forget that there's going to be a marriage. I tell couples who are engaged all the time, I said, look, your whole life's going to be obsessed about throwing this party that it's going to be a great party and you're going to remember it for a long time. But there's a lifetime of commitment on the other side of that. Don't, go, don't forget to prep for that as well. Pick your caterer, pick your flowers, whatever. But like make sure you know exactly what you're getting yourself into in the long haul. And I feel like it's easy to do that with the second coming. That we get so consumed with the initial part of it that we forget the long-term lasting effects. And I believe that that's what God wants us to dwell on this morning together. However God chooses to do it, whenever he chooses to do it, the veil between heaven and earth will be lifted. And if we think about that in the way that the Bible describes it, it isn't that heaven's way up there and we're way down here. The Bible talks about heaven and earth being uh, like almost indistinguishable from one another, except for this veil that he has left. I'm going to get into more, more into that next week. But right now we, like we, it, it it takes special grace to be aware of his nearness. But at some point that special grace won't be needed because that veil will be lifted. And we're going to realize what parousia really, like really deeply means. That the gift of the second coming is not about the cataclysmic event and the end of the world; that it is about Jesus looking you in the eye. That we read his words, we see his actions, but can you to hear his voice, to look into his eyes, to read his facial expression, to be embraced by him you're going to get to hug him you will that that is the gift that is our future that is the that is the promise of eternity and as we work our way around that advent wreath and we get closer to the first coming uh, as we build in anticipation we're also getting closer to this second parousia So look in Revelation twenty-one. What is that going to be like? How, like I said, how we get there, not sure. What's it going to be like? Here's a, here's a glimpse that God gave to John. Verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither sh- shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who's seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. Like what, what more can we want? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that everything is made new? That this earth is made new. That you physically are made new. That you emotionally are made new. That everything that you battle now ceases to exist because it died. Every disease, every struggle, every obstacle to overcome, everything passes away. And the only thing that remains is us in the Garden of Eden. For, For sin broke us. And broke our relationships and, and, and all those things. Can you imagine just all those things just being vacuumed out? It's just you and him. And you're, you are imagine standing before him and you're just weeping. Because, not because you're sad, but because you're so full of joy. And he's like, hey, let me take care of that tear. Let's hug it out. You get to tell him thank you to his face. You get to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Like you get to hear what his voice sounds like. I mean, I can just keep going on it, but you understand like that, that being a prominent part of how you and I walk through everyday life as Christians, that it has to be in there. And if we forget about it, we need to be reminded that when the saints are together, hey, we're on a trajectory and that's what it looks like. Who cares how we get there? Who cares? We're getting there. To see your first love face-to-face in full view for eternity, you know, sign me up. Jesus says, you know what? Until then, just hang in there. You'll be okay. Fight, Fight through life. Live life together. I'll talk some more about that next week. But... To have to have a deep um, embracing of that future trajectory of that landing point. That's why he told us this in Revelation. So don't worry about the crazy parts. Look at this. Focus on this. And so, what do we do? Like, what do we do in in, in light of that? Like, how do you just do anything except just be kind of overwhelmed by it? And look in chapter twenty-two. There's two verses that show the response of the church. Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty, come. Let the one who desires uh, take the water of life without price. The response of the church to this idea that that this is what our future is, like the response of the church is hurry up. Let's get on with it. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus, come quickly. That that is the only response that makes sense when we think about the amazingness of the parousia in our future. As I cannot wait do you remember a kid, like a kid. do you remember being a kid and Christmas, like it was so far away and it started getting closer, but man, like the 22nd of December was torture and the 23rd was like, oh, I'm just dying. And then Christmas Eve was there, but then some families, you didn't, couldn't open anything till Christmas day and you were just going crazy. And there was one year in my house where we had a bunch of family stuff, so we didn't open anything till Christmas night. It was, it was torture, absolute torture. That anticipation that you see in children headed toward Christmas, that's, that should be what we carry with us about the coming of our Lord. The here is this group of people who says, okay, we, we hear what you just said, and our response is, hurry up. Come, Lord Jesus. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Sometimes we get focused on the fact that he said soon. You know, it's like we sure is taking his sweet time. He is taking his time. It's his time to take. Don't focus on the soon part, focus on the surely part. The new the, the early church had a had a prayer that means our Lord come and it's the word Maranatha. That's how they would end prayers. That's how they would begin prayers. That's what they would say to each other, "Maranatha, our Lord, come." You we say, "Well, what about this? Like, what do we really want Him to come yet? Because, because, what about this? And uh, and you know, sometimes it's something like, uh, but not everyone knows Jesus yet. Do we want Him to come back yet? That's that's a legitimate point. Other times, people say, "Yeah, but I haven't really like." I haven't, I haven't lived my full life yet. I haven't gotten married yet. I haven't had kids yet. I haven't gotten to go to Disney world yet. I haven't gotten to do all these things yet. You know, like, wait just a minute. Let me, let me live life a little bit. And I think those are the times where we're like, okay, we're, we're not quite getting it, are we? Not quite getting it. And so we have this gift of Advent, this season where we get to read these texts and have these ideas put in front of us. And we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's the reorienting thing about Advent. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's what is most important. That we can say, Jesus, come quickly, and we can also be faithful with our current lives at the same time. Those things can coexist. So yes, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha. We're not saying anything other than, Jesus, will you just come now, whether that's the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, or whether it's parousia in, into our, like our current set of problems and struggles. We're making room for him. We're preparing room for him. So you can pray two, twofold. You can say, Lord, I want you like I want that big final bring it an end to all the brokenness parousia to happen. I Also, uh, and if, you, if that's not today, that's cool. How about parousia into my own struggles right now? How about how about you, I invite you into my own my current pain, my current struggles, my current doubt, my current needs. Our souls are big enough to 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 pray both prayers. The big parousia, the individual parousia. And you know what? Jesus is very near, and he can hear all the prayers. He knows how to do what you need him to do. And so. Jesus come quickly. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. Come Lord. Maranatha. Say it however you want to say it. But this is what our future looks like. And we're going to respond this morning. We're going to we're going to do our normal responses. Let me tell you this. We're going to sing 2 songs and they're going to be a little a little bit more lively. Because this should excite us why we should never be afraid of the second coming we should get we should get pumped about the second coming now one is blatantly a second coming song the second song we're going to sing though it's it's joy to the world but joy to the world was not written as a first coming of Jesus song it's written as a second coming song we sing it during christmas time because the lyrics happen to fit But as we sing it, I want you you to to think about what we are saying, to think about what those lyrics are, not only in terms of the first arrival, but also second arrival. And so we're going to celebrate the fact that this is where we are headed and we're going to ask him to come. We're going to do that in song. You can do that in prayer. Uh, If if, uh, we have communion that's being served, if you want to come and this is the kind of communion where you take the bread and you dip it into the juice. You do that yourself that weight of the absence of the Lord being with us, that we can kind of feel that. But as you're taking communion and we're singing, even so come, Lord Jesus come, that we're reminded of the fact that he is coming again. We'll have some ministers on the front row would love to talk to you. If if you're not a follower of Jesus and that's why the second coming scares you, we definitely want to talk to you about that. You need to know him because he is as good as the Bible described. He really is. And so however you want to respond, it is open to you. You can sing, you can come and pray at the steps, you can come into communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you want what Jesus is offering to you, then come get in the line. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to step into the spirit of Revelation 21 and 22 together. Um, so I'd ask you if you would stand with us as the band comes forward. I want you to stand and I want you to, I want you to kind of just get into that mindset before we start to sing. I want you to think about that text in Revelation 21 about him standing in front of us. About him saying that he's making all things new which includes you, includes me. About him being so bodily present that he can wipe the tears away from your eyes. I want you to think about that being in front of you in your life. That that moment is coming. Take just a second and ask God to help increase that anticipation for you. And I'll pray in just a second, and we'll sing together about how we're going to get to that moment. The one thing is not mysterious is that you are going to keep your word to us. That you will be present with your people bodily and spiritually forever. And so now help us to wait faithfully. Help us to identify with that prayer from the early church. May we sing Maranatha prayers. May we live Maranatha lives. And so be with us. These closing moments as we respond, Lord, may we lift you up. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.